As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what does meditation mean to you? How does meditation manifest in your own life? Hmm. Usually it manifests itself in the sense that I'll be in the middle of something and I'll think, oh my God, if I could only meditate and (laughs) and meditate well, this would probably be the time that I need to do it. Um, So usually it comes up in the chaos of life. Uh And uh, and then I start to think about how horrible I am at it. (laughs) So so you can't... uh actually sit and um, and do like you or you don't normally sit around and do like say two hour meditation no no but i do it from time to time uh-huh. and the reason is uh because if i can just get 10 seconds 10 seconds five seconds it doesn't matter uh, of some sort of state in which my mind goes blank and doesn't you know fill up with grocery lists or goofy thoughts or you know my back hurts or something like that then i feel like that is is a huge win um or at least, I, you know, I come away with feeling a little bit clearer and lighter. Yeah. Well, for my own part, I'm, I'm also not uh, seemingly capable of um, lengthy meditation. And, uh, and for, for a while, I was trying to do like a little meditation every morning. And then I kind of fell out of the habit of it. Uh, but, th- but that was particularly nice where you just sort of, you know, I get up, I have my coffee and my smoothie. And then go into the uh, the sunroom for, you know, a couple of minutes and just try and not think about anything and just sort of, sit there and let uh, this is going to, I mean, a lot of this is going to sound kind of hippy dippy, but we're going to tie everything back into science, but kind of let life sort of happen to you and, and, and sort of lessen your role as a 
participant in life for just a few minutes. Uh, And then, of course, then I start thinking about, oh, well, you know, I'm recording a podcast this morning or what am I blogging about today? Or, you know, what is the cat doing over there by the window? That kind of thing. But um, but yeah, it's kind of like a you're talking about you think about it during the chaos and it is kind of the idea of, of rising above the chaos in the same way that uh, you could have a, a fierce storm on Earth. And if you were in an airplane, you could fly above the cloud cover and everything would be clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, basic idea of meditation is that so much of our life is that storm. And we are always capable of rising above it, you know, and and, right. and experiencing life as it, as it actually is without all these emotional storms. Uh, yeah. I think I always think about, unfortunately, <laughs> Keanu Reeves, um, <laughs> because he played Sid Hartha, right? And there's this one scene in the movie. Did he? Yeah, yeah. I'm not familiar with this film adaptation. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm sorry. I'm You're not, not talking about the Matrix, it. right? No. Okay. Although he did play a kind of Sid Hartha in that, yeah. right? Um, but he's in the middle of this maelstrom, like literally this storm that is blowing up around him and he's meditating mm-hmm. and he's, you know, completely, unflappable and has moved in some sort of trance-like uh, experience. And this, you know, we know that um, that this sort of level of meditation is something called like nirvana, right, or samadhi, uh-huh. which is one of the, it's the highest level that you could ever achieve. And that's what made him Siddhartha, right? Or Keanu Reeves, either one. Um, but, you know, the the idea is that, you can block out the world. And just to refresh, he played Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. Yes. Okay. I'm pretty Keanu sure Reeves. it was Keanu okay. Reeves. Because <laughs> I, I find it funny that he picks roles that don't have a lot of dialogue in them, and this was one of them. Where he just had to sort of sit there and look pretty and you know, just kind of... Yeah, he had yeah. to sit there with his eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's interesting that we, we bring up movies, because I think before I actually tried meditation or even really had an idea of what it was, mm-hmm. which was a long stretch of my life uh, so far, I just had meditation was the kind of thing like a Shaolin monk might do in a movie before he started whipping people's butts. That you know that oh, that was right. basically the the only real idea that meditation was this cool Eastern thing mm-hmm. that people in movies sometimes did, and they looked real serene and cool when they did it. And uh, and so I did have the right idea that it was somehow involved calmness focusing. And, and focusing the yeah. mind. Well, see, I think that's the interesting thing about meditation is it means uh, something different to each person. And there are a million different ways to meditate and techniques and ways to use it. But of course, when we see it in the purest sense in the East, you know, uh, from which it came, we see it as uh, particularly like in Japanese and Buddhism, um, there's really no goal of reaching this ultimate state of being or nirvana. It's just about sitting. For them, it's about sitting, period, right? Um, but we know here in the West that we've been using it as a panacea, right? Like, oh, okay, if you want to lower your stress, then you should meditate. If you want to get rich, you should meditate. If yeah. you want to get skinny, get, you know, the laundry list of things it becomes that this, it can improve It becomes this kind on. of magical thing that can solve any problem, which it's not. Right. And, it's, and of course, there is this mystical aspect to it because when you do, when you can get in some, some sort of state mm-hmm. like that and, and uh, your brain is engaged in that, it does feel like something that's special, special and mystical 
um, an experience that only you are having, right? Well, and it is tied into various religious traditions, um, even showing up in some uh, Christian traditions. Like some, uh, there comes a point where prayer crosses over and really becomes more right. of a meditation. Uh, and let, let me back up just a second to talk about two distinct types of meditation, mm-hmm. just to give a, a deeper idea of what we're talking about. Um, there is a, a concentrative meditation, and then there is mindful meditation. And the, the analogy I like to think of is uh, think of a clear vortex, like a clear vortex of water, uh, the kind that might exist in a, uh, in a soda container after you've filled it with water and shook it up, you know, okay. like a whirlpool, and it's clear, all right? Bubbles. Now, no bubbles. Okay. That, don't complicate the metaphor. All right. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> Now imagine taking, say, a blue dye and pouring that in. And that blue dye represents um, worrying about the future. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you, you put in a green dye as well, and that dye represents uh, fretting about the past. And so, and then there are other dyes as well having to do with other concerns and worries in your life. Mm-hmm. And the more you put in, into it, the, the vortex just becomes blacker and blacker and just, you know, in this horrible brown color. And... Part of the idea of meditation is that uh, is that so much of our life is like that. We're we're this vortex of thought with all these things wrapped up in it, getting and, muddled. Yeah, and those that's the and that's the the guys that's the the lens through which we view the world. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of meditation is to simplify that vortex. And the concentrative approach is uh, generally actually involves stuff like um, uh, repeating uh, mantras, uh, focusing on a single word. And it's the, the idea here is like instead of putting all these different dyes into the vortex, mm-hmm. I'm going to put a single dye. I'm going to put this single, um, I don't know, uh, pick a color. Pink. Pink dye. We're going to put this single pink dye that is this mantra or this phrase or just this ohm. Thing. That's going to replace the the muddle of red and right. green and blue. So right. okay. So the vortex cannot disappear because mm-hmm. the vortex is our thought process. The vortex is us, mm-hmm. and the vortex is the way we view the world. But if we can focus it on one thing, then it simplifies everything. Okay. So and, it's reductionism. Yes. And then there's mindful meditation, and uh, mindful meditation um, is about recognizing the flow of experience, the the thoughts, the sights, the sounds. Mm-hmm. So in this one, it's not as much about focusing, putting a different color into the vortex, vortex, but focusing on the vortex itself, really. So, so that's okay. So the, the maelstrom is the maelstrom, and it is what it is. Yeah, and just realizing the the, the maelstrom, and like, and, and realizing what's happening with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or that's. That's that's the way I kind of tend to view the two different uh, different versions here. Okay. So those are essentially the two different kinds of meditation. Okay. And I think it's interesting too to look at this like what's happening inside the actual brain. Um just to give us an idea, we know that the brain always has some level of electrical activity going on. Right. Measurable it, electrical measurable, activity. Measurable, right, right. And the e, an, an EEG can measure that activity. And so you have different types of brain waves. Mm-hmm. Um, from slow to fast, you have delta, theta, alpha, and beta. And we know that delta is associated with deep sleep. And on the other end of the spectrum, we know that beta is associated when um, you're working on a goal-oriented task, right? So during meditation, what we do know is that theta waves, right, they're, they're couched right there next to delta. Those are the most common brain waves in the frontal and middle parts of the brain, which are responsible for monitoring other thought processes or mental uh-huh. processes. So in other words, this part of the brain is basically dialing down the awareness of the other brain. Um, and of course, we're seeing this uh, not in just like a casual 
meditators. We're seeing this in people who are highly experienced meditators. Um, and then we also see that alpha waves show up in the posterior parts of the brain, and this indicates a wakeful rest. Um, a study described in Science Daily, Brain Waves and Meditation, makes the connection that the brainwave activity is much more changed in groups of meditators mm-hmm. than groups who just relax. Uh, so the extrapolation is that the brain is able to relax and focus a lot more in this meditative state. So there's definitely a difference. Cause some people think, well, can I just sit there and relax? I can watch TV. I can read a book. Um, or I can just sit there, but not necessarily meditate. The fact is, is that you still have your brain engaged different parts in, in, um, thinking, right? Yeah. Like people often talk about, well, I'm just going to go home and turn off my brain and, by that, they mean watching TV. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's different things are going on. So while you, if you're just trying your hand at meditation or, or certainly if you're inspired to give meditation a try mm-hmm. after listening to this uh, podcast, and by all means do and, and write us and tell us what, what you think. Um, just, you know, you may find yourself sitting there going, wow, I'm sitting here doing nothing. I sure could whip out my smartphone and check my email as long as I'm sitting here or, or I could start thinking about this or it wouldn't I be better off you know catching up on uh, the show I just started watching on HBO or something but but that's you're then you're engaging different parts of your brain and you're you're bringing in a lot of mental activity that you're ideally trying to remove from that vortex right because we're bombarded all the time right. right and actually I think this is probably a good time to talk about memes right Yes. Um, we've talked about Susan Blackmore she is a memeticist and um, she's Built on Richard Dawkins' selfish gene premise that our genes carry carry on only to perpetuate themselves, sort of regardless of the organism. This right? is a lady with the crazy hair, too. She uh, has multicolored you, hair. Yeah. She's pretty wonderful. She's sort of like a rock star of this area. Um, and Dawkins also said that we've created a cultural equivalent in something he calls memes. So this is the spread of ideas that compete to become part of our cultural fabric and not even just our cultural fabric, but on an individual basis, the things that you hear, the words, the ideas that sort of uh, come together in this mosaic for each person, um, those are all competing things, right? Yeah. And um, it, it's, uh, it's the brain chatter, really, that we experience on a day-to-day level. And it's the songs we hear, it's the conversation we pick up, it's the imagined dialogues in our head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the effort of the brain to, to sort of you know, steer the car left when you're actually re-remembering a past event or a conversation. These are all the things that are crowding us out. And Susan Blackmore talks about memes extensively. And she actually talks about teams, too, which she says is technology, which is giving us iterations of memes, um, which is for another day. Uh, but memes and meditation is something really important to her because not only is she a memeticist, but she is uh, she's like a Zen meditation practitioner 25 years now. Wow. Yeah. And in John Horgan's book, Rational Mysticism, he actually interviews her about her view on memes and meditation. And this is sort of him summarizing her thoughts on the topic. He says, we do not perceive the world directly as it truly is. We actively construct it. We construct ourselves too. our ordinary waking self is as artificial, invented and illusory as the ethereal double selves we hallucinate in dreams and out-of-body experiences. Once we learn this fact and fully realize it in every moment of our lives, we can wake from the meme dream. And this is something she talks about all the time, the meme dream, all of this information that we're trying to uh, just percolate in our brains. Um, 
And, and remember, too, this is interesting when you think about the fact that 99% of what we perceive when we enter a room isn't necessarily coming through our eyes. It's actually how we are interpreting and inferring the data that we see. Yeah. So, again, we've we've got all this happening at once. So, according to Blackmore, uh, she says that meditation is not going to make you smarter or richer or healthier. It's really about pruning back those memes. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Um Again, it, it brings back down this idea of there is a, there is the world as it is, and then there is the world as we see it, and that the world as we see it is influenced by all these memes and all these thought processes, and uh, and meditation often comes back to the idea of turning a lot of this off and and seeing the room as the room. Yeah, and actually, uh, Blackmore has a bone to pick too with with meditators and um, and meditating in general. Yeah, which we will get to uh, right after this quick break. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. Yeah, uh, actually, Blackmore can argue, and in fact will, that it's nearly impossible to get consistent data to tell us a coherent story about the effects of meditation. Yeah, and one part is, even though I swiftly divided meditation into two types, there are so many different styles of meditation and methods of meditation. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of it, you know, talking about reducing the vortex to one single color instead of a dozen at once. Well, they're just, they're just imagine that there are any number of colors you could make that vortex be. Uh, and so, so there, there's, if you start looking around for ways to meditate, you'll find lots of examples and you can't study all of them in a scientific study. You have to pick yeah. something and go with it. And so you inevitably do not have a complete picture of meditation as a global phenomenon. Well, and her problem with it, too, is that once you try to quantitate results, you're trying to apply an agenda to something that doesn't necessarily have an agenda. Right. right? Because, again, meditation is not in it is not it should not be in its more traditional forms. It should not be. I will meditate now to try and make myself healthier. But like right. it's not that kind of thing. And right. I don't know why someone would talk like a robot while meditating. Well, that's but. your meditation voice, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard your dolphin voice, your meditation voice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's why she says you get wildly different data sometimes uh, when you have two different groups. And part of that, too, can be because the, the actual sample group, um, she tends to say that people who are seeking out meditators, they tend to be more anxious and neurotic than average. And nope. I know to report more problems in general and to have taken twice as many drugs as non-meditators. Huh. She doesn't say what kind of drugs or, you know, but um, <laughs> in other words, it's not necessarily the sample group that you want to test Yeah. Uh, in order to get sort of like across the board, even reliable results. Yeah. Now, this is her talking about in her experience, right? Because you have to understand that she's going to uh, workshops into very intense, uh, like weekend retreats and so on and so forth. So she's probably dealing with a different animal in, in terms of the people that she's come across as a scientist and, a, a, um, a practitioner herself. Right. Yeah. And these are, and she's, she's dealing in these cases, not with casual meditators. That's right. These are people that maybe you have more intense personalities uh-huh. who like her, you know, have been practicing this at this very high level for 25 years or more. Um, so, you know, that's a, it's sort of a, a different animal. Well, then there's also the idea that, uh, 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 did she point out that, that, uh, people engaged in meditation are more often to be, uh, they're more open to become immersed in an experience, correct? Yeah. 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 That's another thing. And it, that sort of brought up the whole placebo effect, we, which we've talked about before. If right. you have a group that is 
ready, willing, and able to do something, then it may not bear out the same results as another group that is like, oh, okay, I'll just try out this meditation thing and see what sort of results I get. Yeah. I mean, just imagine the difference if you were to say, hey, guys, I need 10 people. Uh, like you advertise, like, I need 10 people for a meditation study. And then so you get 10 people who are like, yeah, I totally will blow a Saturday on a meditation study. Versus if you just went out on the street and were like, all right, you, 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 and you, get here, meditation study now. Yeah. It's going to be a rather different results, I'd imagine. Right, right. They're already sort of queuing up this idea that they're going to have some sort of benefit from this. And particularly in group meditation, you see this too. Yeah. Because it's sort of a, a, another issue of community and socialization. Um she talks about the Maharishi effect. Oh, yes. Yeah. And we're not going to pick on transcendental meditation because actually as a technique, um, it, it is supposedly very helpful. Um, but I think she is picking on Maharishi, uh, referring to Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, known as the Beatles guru, I think, to most people, who is the founder of transcendental meditation. Yeah. I mean, one of her problems here is that you have the Mariachi International University in Fairfield, Iowa. And they publish their own uh, publications with uh, with different studies uh, in it regarding the uh, effects of transcendental medica- meditation. So, yeah, i.e., non peer reviewed. Yeah, yeah. So no no challenge here. So yeah, look look for that as you're looking at different results, uh, you know, in different uh, web searches for the positive effects of meditation. Right. Um, now the mariachi of ef- mariachi effect that would be something entirely <laughs> different. The the I'm, my mind still wants to say mariachi. Maharishi. Maharishi, yes, the Mar- Maharishi effect. Um, this comes down to the most in its most uh, phenomenal um, example would be that one percent of the population gets together, mm-hmm. meditates, and changes the world. This is a claim, right? Yes. That that there's less crime as a result of meditation. Okay, that's one claim. One percent less. <laughs> Because those, uh, all Just, the people right. meditating can no longer be, you know, it, it, you, only if you picked hardened criminals, it seems like, would that statistically match up. Okay. And of course, the, people have tried to run this through mathematical models and it's not bearing out. Right. That's not a surprise, right? Uh, for, for a number of reasons. Um, and then they, another claim is that they could influence the weather. Yeah. And the last, they could levitate. Yeah. Well, if you know enough about the weather, then uh, the, the weather claim is just as ridiculous as, as levitation because yeah. the weather weather is such a complex system based on global phenomena, and um, it, it's just really complicated. And, uh, the, I mean, the idea that you can influence that with your thought that's and, and influence that with meditation is, is rather far-fetched, as far-fetched, I think, as one individual rising above um, the ground on uh, like a, I don't know, a cushion of pure thought. Yeah, and um, and that's what Blackmore's beef is, right? I mean, she's basically saying, I I uh, am a practitioner, I do this, I think that it has its benefits, um, but, you know, you've got this other group that is making sort of wild claims and detracting from, from what actually is a helpful and useful practice. Uh, I mean, the, the good news, though, I mean, okay, the bad news is not, you're probably not going to float into the air, right? You're probably not going to reach a sort of, uh, nirvanic state in which uh, you're just gliding around on your own magic carpet. Right. Okay, so that's bad news. The good news is that we already know about neuroplasticity, right? We know that um, we can change our minds 
to the degree that we can exercise, so to speak, the muscles, again, so to speak, in our brain. And we've seen this when we talked about uh, music in the mind and how in musicians there are particular areas of the mind that are much more developed than in uh, other non-musicians. You see the same thing with people who are highly competent meditators, uh, that there are parts of their brain that can actually expand and, um, and, and they've actually seen this in studies about compassion before, the ability to become more compassionate. Well, and that's, uh, like you, you look at the, at, at uh, the Buddhist teachings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's one of the, the core reasons for meditation is the idea that compassion arises from all of this. And that's world changing, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to levitate to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, the, yeah, the idea is that we, uh, uh, we, we erase this idea of self, the, uh, the ego that steers us wrong sort of goes away and then we're able to experience c- compassion. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it just made me remember too, um, this, this idea of compassion and oneness, right? Cause mm-hmm. this is this sort of feeling and you've talked about it before, like in religion and chanting. Uh, again, this is in music too. Yeah. These yeah. are, these are all sort of things that help erase the ego and make you feel like you're something uh part of part of something that's bigger than yourself right yeah like i've often heard like ego described as i mean so i think we've discussed in the past about like traumatic experiences arising um you experience something traumatic and then it the 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 memories really begin to take hold as you form a story about it Mm -hmm. which is to say i don't know like let's say um uh you know somebody cuts you off um while you're trying to drive to work and that may be kind of, you might have a, like a reaction of, oh, well, that's irritating. But then if you were to continue to continue to stew over it and you create this story where it's like, I, somebody cut me off. Mm-hmm. You know, this happened to me. Uh, I was in this situation where I was wronged. We create a story at which we're the center because we're the ego. Right. And, uh, and, and our egos are, are almost all out of control. And, uh, and, and so we, we end up caught up in that story, right? Yeah, you're caught up in the story. You have all these emotions. Uh, and, and in fact, there's uh, another piece of information from Rational Mysticism by John Horgan. He mm-hmm. talks to a guy named James Austin. He's a neurobiologist and he himself a Zen Buddhist. Uh-huh. And he's the author of Zen and the Brain. And he talks about those the events that you described um, as a neural pruning if you can get rid of that experience through meditation. Um, this is from the book uh, in Rational Mysticism, Mysticism, quote, he compares meditation to sculpture or etching, which also creates by taking away. He means this analogy. Literally, he cites evidence from animal studies that neurochemicals such as L-glutamate, aspirate and nitric oxide can act as excitotoxins, which destroy specific types of neurons in specific regions of the brain by overstimulating them. Released by mystical experiences such as meditating, right? Um, Excitocins can be potent agents, Austin writes, prompting a kind of highly localized etching away within certain vital regions of our brain, right? So basically, as we lose neurons, we also shed beliefs, obsessions, and emotions that distort our view of reality, says John Horgan. This is a very fascinating book, by the way, for anybody who's interested in um, science and mysticism. Yeah. It's called rational mysticism. But again, here's this idea, and it's sort of extrapolating on what Susan Blackmore said, which is, you know, you take all of these memes, you cull them down, and and here, here on a, you know, neurological level, it's being done. These excitotoxins are mm-hmm. releasing this experience for you. Um, another uh, example that comes to mind is a study we were looking at, a 2007 UCLA study. 
uh, from psychologist um, Matthew Lieberman. And, uh, and, and this study uh, suggests that, that when you name emotions, you can tame them. You can, right. um, it's, it's kind of the idea, the idea, a lot of, uh, of meditation again comes down to recognizing what's going on in your own thought processes mm-hmm. and realizing, Hey, I'm being an egotistical jerk about this. I shouldn't do that as opposed to just being an egotistical jerk and not realizing it, which is, you know, what most people do. Um, and well, what everybody does at some point. And this is the mindfulness yeah. aspect, right? That you're being mindful of what's going on in your thought process. Right. So how do you study this, right? Well, uh, Lieberman took, um, took it in his college, the colleagues, they took about 30 people and they hooked them up to, um, fMRIs and he showed them photos of men and women's emotional expressions. All right. And when the, um, and, and they would, uh, they would choose labels for these emotions that they saw in the picture. They're like, oh, well, that guy's mad. That guy's constipated, et cetera. Well, I don't think constipation was one of them. But I, was, could, I don't know. That's an emo- <laughs> maybe it is an emotion. I don't know. But, um, well, we've discussed before the digestion is, is strongly linked to our mind. That's so, right. Yeah. That your gut is your second brain. But, uh, anyway, so they're, um, when the participants would, would choose labels for negative emotions, um, it would, it would stir activity in the right, uh, ventrolateral prefrontal cortex region. This is the area associated with thinking in words about emotional experiences. So naming them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, whereas activity in the, um, Amygdala, the brain region involved in emotional processing, uh, stuff there would calm down. Ah, okay. So it's, it, it's the, the direct correlation there is like, I'm, I'm realizing this is anger and then I'm experiencing anger less for realizing. It's like I'm stepping outside of it and looking at it and then I'm gaining, gaining just a little bit of, uh, of, uh, of distance from it, you know? Well, that's interesting too, because if you've gone through a meditation practice before, a lot of times, um, You'll be advised to name something and let it go, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like if a thought comes into your head, you say, "Okay, the color blue goes away," or something, uh, some sort of remembrance of something that happened today. Oh, I was angry about something. It's the, sort of the same thing, right? Because yeah. that's on the on the road to meditation, you have to sort of name all these things and and let them float away from you in order to get in this, I guess, cleaner space in your head. Right. So it's interesting that once you do that, the amygdala kind of goes, "Okay." We're just going to be calm here. Yeah. Because we've done the job here of, of tagging what we need to. All right. Well, there you go, meditation. Now, for the, the next uh, two hours of this podcast, we're going to do a guided med. Oh, wait. No. 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 Gary's signaling me that that's out. No, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, we were going to chant and everything. You're out of time for that. No, no. We're not doing it. It's gone. It's canceled. Shut it down. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, we can't do that. Um, and... Uh, and uh, since we've gone a little long, I'm actually going to uh, skip the listener mail as well. Uh, but we'll come back to that in future uh, episodes, of course. And uh, in the meantime, uh, if you have any tidbits about meditation, um, you can come check out our Facebook and Twitter feeds. We are blow the mind on both of those. And we would really love to hear from any. Oh, we'd love to hear from from people who are just trying meditation for the first time and uh, their own experiences with what it's like. Uh, we'd also love to hear from people who've been meditating for. Ages, uh, you know, people who feel like they're they're experts uh, at it, or or at least are well versed in it, and uh, hear what you have to say about this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And we also have a great article too about the Maharishi, the Beatles, and uh, what they all have to do with bringing yoga to the West. So just make sure that you pop that in our handy search bar. Um, any of those terms: Beatles, mm-hmm. yoga, Maharishi. Yeah, and if you're wondering about uh, meditation and pain, we have an article called "Could Meditating Before or During Surgery Decrease Your Pain" by Julia Layton. 
Um, you'll find that on the homepage as well. Yep, and please do drop us a line, and you can do so at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.